0: So most of us, most of us have messed up to some degree. In fact, by a show of hands, how many of you would say that that's true of the person next to you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll raise my hand for that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Know. Yeah. But seriously, how many of you? You know, so many of us in this room have experienced deep hurt and deep pain, and and this isn't to, we're not trying to minimize anything, and we're not trying to embarrass anybody, but I think this could be a helpful exercise. How many of you would say, you know, Ken, I've been through deep pain. I've been through some hurt in life. How many of you would raise your hand and say that's true of me? Now, keep your hand up for just a moment. Look around the room. What do you see? You see a lot of people who have been through hurt and pain, because here's why I have you do this, because the enemy wants to say you're the only one. He wants you to feel isolated. He wants you to feel alone in your pain. And I want you to know one of the things I love about this church is that we can we can say, "Yeah, I've been there." And and there's there's help in that. The other thing I want you to know is you don't know the struggle of the person next to you or in a couple the row a couple rows ahead of you. You know, sometimes we walk in and and we get our panties in a wad because someone didn't greet us. <laughs> Why didn't they greet me? You you don't know what they're going through. So sometimes you know. We have to all step out and all be a part of greeting and all be a part of welcoming each other. You know, we, we all, so we just saw by the hands that, that most of us in this room, if not all of us in this room, have experienced pain, we've experienced hurt in our lives, and so what we do, and this is just the default, this is part of uh, the sin nature that is inside of us, is we try to... To to cover that up. Not, not even that the hurt or pain is our fault. Sometimes you know it's at the hands of another person or at the words of another person. But, but it's the default that we, we want to hide it. We want to try to cover it up. We don't want others to be let in and to know what's going on. And so we put on a mask. We pretend that everything's okay. Sometimes we hide those things with, with habits. And many times they even become destructive or even addictive habits in our lives. And so what we're talking about in this series is how can we experience real freedom and real, the, the word that, that we're using in this series is breakthrough, how can we experience the breakthrough that I really believe, and the Word of God teaches that God wants for us, that God doesn't want us to stay stuck in those hurts. He doesn't want us to stay stuck in those habits. He doesn't want us to stay stuck in those hangups, that He has a better path for us. And so how can we experience the breakthrough that God wants for us? And most of us just want that breakthrough to happen we know that it can. We know, we look in the Word of God, we see moments where God just suddenly breaks through in, in people's lives. But we, we also see in the Word of God that often it's the decisions and choices that we make that lead to breakthrough. And so what we're doing is we're just talking about several choices that we can make, more than several. There's seven in all choices, decisions that we can make that, that lead to breakthrough. And uh, if you haven't been here for this series, let me bring you up to speed. Two weeks ago, we talked about the first choice that we can make, and it's the choice of humility. And humility, basically, is the place of saying, I can't, in and of myself, I am nothing, and I have nothing, and I'm broken, and I'm helpless, and I'm powerless, and it's the words of Paul in Romans chapter 7, oh, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? It's the words that Paul says of all of us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the perfect standard that God has for our lives. This is the humility choice. And what, what I would submit to you is that you, you can't experience breakthrough until you first come to grips with your sin, with your hurt, with the ways that you have hurt others. It's the humility choice. Second choice that we talked about last week is the hope choice. And the hope choice is God can. God has the power. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can ask or imagine. The hope choice is, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The hope choice is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The hope choice is, yes, I can't. The hope choice is, God can and he will if I allow him, right? That's the hope choice. This morning, our third choice, and really all the other choices are going to build off of the choice we're talking about this morning, is so pivotal, is so key, it is the commitment choice. And, and really, I have a long phrase kind of to describe what the commitment choice is, and, and I want to read it to you, and we'll put it up on the screen. The commitment choice is, I choose to continually commit all my life and will to Christ's care and his control. Let me read that again. I choose to continually commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. And to help us with this choice, I want us to turn in our Bibles this morning to 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19. This is in the Old Testament. I know sometimes when we say first and second, we think that all that stuff's in the New Testament. This is in the Old Testament. It's after you know all the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You get through all that, you'll see first and second Samuel, and then you'll see first and second Kings. If you get to Chronicles, you've gone too far. First Kings. Chapter 19, and let me set up the story as I'm I'm rambling here just to give you time. I really want you to find this for yourself and not just to look at it on the screen. Here, here's the deal: is at this point, we're we're in Israel's history, and the, the we we're talking about one of the greatest prophets that Israel has, has, has experienced, and it's the prophet Elijah. And and I don't know if you've heard of Elijah, but Elijah was the man, he was One of the most popular, when we say prophets, we're talking about a person who would speak on behalf of God to the people. And he would speak, I mean, God would just give him incredible words to speak, and words sometimes of encouragement, but often words of, hey, you better turn, hey, you better come back to God, hey, you have this opportunity. And so Elijah was used powerfully, but not only was he incredible in that he was a spokesman for God, but he was powerful in that God used him to perform incredible miracles, And, I mean, literally, Elijah was used, one of the few people in the Bible who was used by God to raise someone from the dead, and, I mean, in in 1 Kings 18, the chapter before what we're going to read, God uses Elijah to bring about a national revival where God literally sends fire from heaven and burns up a sacrifice at this incredible showdown on on Mount Carmel, and, I mean, it's just an amazing, amazing passage, and after this incredible you know, revival spreading throughout Israel and, and Elijah is spent. Elijah is at the end. He just goes, God, I'm done. I'm finished. Can you, can you choose somebody else? And, and God in his mercy says, yes, Elijah, I'll do that for you. And so what we're about to read in 1 Kings chapter 19 is Elijah going to, and this gets really confusing, he goes to a young man named Elisha. I'm like, really? You got to have the names that close? You know, they got, that's, that's how we got to do this? So we're talking about, we're not talking about the same person. We're talking about two different individuals. Elijah, who is at the end of his ministry, is going to a young man named Elisha, and he's about to tap him on the shoulder and give him the news, hey, God wants to use you to be the next prophet of Israel. By the way, Elisha doesn't see this coming. Elisha is just a farmer. Elisha hasn't been to theological school, he doesn't have all the, you know, the, 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 the connections that you need to have, he's not a mover, he's not a shaker, nobody knows who he is, but Elijah is going to go to Elisha. And so this is where we pick up in verse 19, 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning with verse 19, Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. And there were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team, And Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. And we got to pause right there because in our modern eyes and ears, we look at this and we go, what the what? What's this all about? The cloak was a symbol of Elijah's authority and his anointing. And so what he's doing by throwing this cloak over his shoulders, he's saying, you're the man. God has chosen you. Again, we look at that, and we, like if that happened, if I'm out, you know, mowing my yard and Pastor Aaron shows up and throws his coat on me, I'd be like, get that awful thing off of me and what are you doing, right? Like, But they perfectly understood what was happening here, right? So Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, hey, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye and then I will go with you. And Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. Basically, what's happening is Elijah's saying, whatever. Whatever you got to do, but here's the thing. You better think long and hard about what has just happened. The God of the universe has just hand-selected you, and you better think about this. What happens next is absolutely crazy. Verse 21 So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. What's going on here? Think about the commitment that Elisha is making to the call of God. Elisha says goodbye to his old life by throwing a goodbye party. They share a meal, in my mind they share stories until the early morning hours, but it was the bonfire. It was the bonfire that was the most meaning and memorable part of of the night because this would change his life forever. It symbolized, the bonfire symbolized the old Elisha. It was the last day of his old life and it was the first day of his new life. See, Elisha made a choice to totally commit himself to God's mission. It meant burning up everything that might try to weaken that commitment. What is Elisha doing? He's saying, I'm all in. Uh, I'm going to burn the John Deere. There's, There's no plan B. There's no going back. I am all in for what God has for me. God, whatever you want me to do, the answer is yes. Wherever you want me to go... The answer is yes. Whatever you want me to say, the answer is yes. I belong to you, and I am absolutely, totally committed to you. It's a commitment choice. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 14, verse 33. Jesus said, no one can become my disciple without what? Okay, we got to do that one again. Jesus, It's up on the screen, right? Jesus said in Luke 14, 33, no one can become my disciple without what? That's in the Bible. Oh, I don't like that one, so let's all get out our whiteout. And <laughs> No, these are the words of Jesus. These are red-letter words. Jesus saying, "Listen, you want to follow me?" Jesus never asked anybody to become a Christian. <laughs> he didn't. But he did ask people to follow him. He's not asking you to be a Christian. He's asking you to be his follower. He's asking you to be his disciple. And what is the requirement of becoming his follower? That I would give up everything for him. Now, okay, i got to clarify. I'm not asking you to go home and, and burn your shed and everything that's in your shed, okay? I'm not, I'm not asking you to go home and sell your house and become homeless. I don't think that that's what God is asking of you either. What he's asking of you is, is he number one in your life? Is there anything in your life that is, that is prohibiting him from being number one? Let me, let me put it this way. Who or what is standing in the way of you being all in with Jesus today? And some of you readily, there's something that comes to your mind. So here's the phrase. I choose to continually commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. I want to I take that phrase and I want to break it up into bite-sized pieces. The first piece is I choose. I choose. Too many American Christians are still playing the DNA card when it comes to spirituality. What DNA card, what is that? Well, my grandma was a great follower of Jesus. My dad was a great follower of Jesus. They were very spiritual. They they memorized scripture. They played Christian music in their home. They read the Bible, and so I'm good to go. No, 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 no. That's not how the kingdom of God works. I choose. No one else can choose for you. Your pastor can't choose for you. Your mama can't choose for you. Your small group leader can't choose for you. Your youth pastor can't choose for you. Only you can choose. I choose. I choose. The next phrase is to continually commit. Like like we want this to be a one and done. Back in 1985, I went to an altar and I gave my life to Jesus and I went back to life as normal. (laughs) No, that's not how it goes. It's not a one and done. It is to continually commit over and over. Paul gives us this language all over in his epistles, and sometimes we don't miss we miss it in the English because we don't see how the Greek verbs are set up. Where it's a it's an active. It's to keep doing it over and over again. Like when Paul says, "Be filled with the Holy Spirit," he doesn't say "Be filled" like past tense. He says, "Be continually filled" like over and over again. It's the same thing in following Jesus. You don't. I followed Jesus like a year ago. No if I'm a follower of Jesus, it means I am actively following him. Continually commit. And what does the word commit mean? I looked it up in the dictionary, and honestly, the dictionary wasn't super helpful. To pledge or bind to a certain course. To pledge or to bind to a certain course. I'm all in. There's no going back. There's no turning around. So I choose to continually commit, and what am I committing? Just all my life. All my will, my will is my choices, my decisions, all my life, and all my will. See, this separates those that walk authentically with Jesus and those who are casual fans of Jesus, because all means everything. Jesus wants everything. He wants to be the most important in your life. He wants to be more important than any of your relationships. He wants to be more important than any of your dreams for the future, He wants to be more important than anything that would stand in his way. He says, "No, that he needs to come down. I want to be first and foremost." Jesus doesn't want to be extra in your life. He wants to be your all-in-all. This doesn't mean that we don't wear other hats. You know, like I'm a a full-on, fully devoted follower of Jesus, but I'm also a husband. So I still have the role of husband. I don't, I don't get rid of that role, but what it means is I've got to learn how to be a husband in accordance with how the Word of God says that I'm to be a husband. I take my cues from the Word of God, not from sitcoms on TV. I have another hat. I'm a father. So I don't abandon that role of father because I'm a Christian. No, I still have that role. It's important. But I take my cues of how to be a dad to my kids from the Word of God. See, Jesus is first in my life. And he instructs every other role in my life. As an employee, he instructs how I should be an employee, what my work ethic should look like, how I should be, how my integrity should be on the workplace. I take my, as a student in the room, students. You're still a student, but you take your cues from the word of God. And that's how you study, and that's how you present yourself in school. So I choose to continually commit all my life and will, and here's the key, to Christ's care and control. We're not just doing this as a religious function. We're not just doing this as religious duty. We're doing this because we believe that there is one who sacrificed all that he had for us. That he died for us that we might live for him. That he suffered for us, and so I can trust him with my life, I can trust him with my will. Because I'm looking at one who went through everything imaginable. I mean, think about it. And we talk about this so much in church circles, but think about what Jesus endured. That there's nothing that you and I have endured that Jesus has not endured. He went through grief. Somewhere between the age of 12 and 30, Joseph died, his earthly father. He went through betrayal. At the day and hour that he most needed his friends, they all bailed on him, they ran for the hills. One of his best friends in the world pretended that he didn't even know him. He went through the the kind of physical agony that we can't even begin to imagine. And it just went on and on and on. If you've ever watched The Passion of the Christ, man, I find that I've got to turn away so many times and that's not even the full extent of it. And why did he do this? Because he loves you. And he loves me. And he wants us to be able to spend forever with him. He wants us to have a restored, right relationship with the Heavenly Father. And so he goes through all of this so that we don't have to. We don't have to be eternally separated from God. And listen, we can trust him. The, the, how can I trust God? Because he's proven his love for me. So I choose to continually commit all my life and will to Christ care, and concern, and control. Some of you are hurting and wounded, and I want you to know that Jesus cares. He was wounded on the cross. He died for your sins. He cares. Some of you are going through financial loss. Jesus cares. He sees you. He sees what you're going through. And by the way, the church cares too. And so if you're going through something, we want to be there for you. Reach out. Let us help you. Maybe you're struggling with a secret habit in your life that's killing you, and you, you don't want to tell anybody. You, you know that you need help, but you don't know what to do. Jesus cares. He really does care. He's not, he's not trying to make your life miserable by bringing this stuff back up. He wants to bring healing to you. Maybe you're unemployed and fearful about the future. Jesus cares. Jesus cares. And when you commit all of your life and will to the care and control of Jesus, the Spirit of God will enter you, He will empower you, and He will fill you with His love, and you don't have to do this alone. Like when I come to Jesus and I say, Jesus, I am choosing to continually commit all of my life and will to your care and to your control. I don't have to do this by myself. His Spirit comes alongside His spirit helps me. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 29. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and overburdened, and I will give you rest. What a powerful verse, isn't it? Powerful. So on one hand, Jesus says, give me everything. And that seems, can we just be honest, radical and harsh, doesn't it? You want me to give you everything? What kind of God are you? How harsh of a God are you? But yet on the other hand, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. And that seems loving and nurturing, right? And it's like, so which one is it? Both and. See, it's in the surrender, it's in the commitment that I actually experience the rest that my soul is really looking for that I'll never experience the freedom and the breakthrough that God has for me until I first come to the place of absolute commitment to Him. Here's a choice one more time. I choose to continually commit all my life and will to Christ's care and to His control. My question is, have you made that choice? Have you chosen to commit yourself to Christ's care and control, holding back nothing, Are you all in? Are you willing to go to the extent that Elisha did where he said, you know what? I'm going to totally say goodbye to my old way of living. Anything that could pull me back, I'm done with that. It's the past. There's a famous three word phrase in history burn the ships. I'm about to tell you a story. Before I tell you the story, I've got to give you a disclaimer that I'm not saying that what this man did was right. Okay? So I don't need your emails about colonization and all that, okay? This is a story to help illustrate a point, okay? The story comes from the legendary Spanish explorer named Hernando Cortez, who landed in Mexico back in 1519. So Cortez lands on the shore of Mexico, and he's got several hundred men, he's got 11 ships, and he's got a dream of seizing Aztec gold, okay? Now, here's the problem. The odds are stacked against Cortez because the Aztecs number in the millions. They've been defending their turf for six centuries now. And so Cortez has got to figure out, like, what is his game plan? How is he, with literally less than 200 men, going to take their gold? So he looks at his men. They've landed on the shore of Mexico. And he looks at his men and he says, all right, guys, burn the ships. And they all look at him like, what? He goes, You didn't mistake me. Burn the ships. How how are we ever going to get home? (laughs) We're not going home. In fact, he added in, He says, If we're going home, we're going home in their ships. With that, Cortez and his men burned their own ships. And when the ships were toast, the alternative was removed. They were committed. It wasn't win or go home, it was win or never go home. There was no turning back, there was no other option. The story reminds me of what we read in 1 Kings chapter 19. Burning the plowing equipment was Elisha's way of burning the ships. He couldn't go back to his old way of life. It was the end of Elisha the farmer, and it was the beginning of Elisha the prophet. Stop and think about the symbolism of what Elisha did. Elisha literally cooked his old way of life and ate it for dinner. He eliminated the possibility of ever going back to farming. You will not experience breakthrough until you totally commit to God. Burn the ships. So when you came in this morning, hopefully you got a little paper that has a ship on it. If you didn't, I apologize, and there's some in the back, and you can get one at some point. Why don't you take out that little slip? Some of you have already like folded it, like origami. <laughs> As you look at that, just that simple little piece of paper with a ship on it, what ship do you need to burn? What is standing in the way of your relationship with Christ? What is preventing you from going all in with Jesus? If you can't think of anything, that's fine. I'm not we're not gonna try to manufacture something this morning. But my guess is for somebody in this room, you know instantly what it is. Can I invite you to burn the ship this morning? Can I invite you to have a moment with God where you say, God, I'm not gonna let this stand in the way of you anymore. Can I tell you, sometimes the ships in our life that we need to burn are good things. There have been seasons in my life where God has called me in prayer to give my wife to Him. Now listen, Scripture is very clear. Followers of Jesus, you are not to divorce, you're not to leave your spouse for the sake of Christ, okay? I can show you the passages of Scripture about that. But there are times where I have placed my wife as an idol, as being so important in my life, and God is saying, Am I more important than your wife? And I've had to wrestle with that. And I'll be honest, those aren't just easy seasons of wrestling. Where He says, Am I going to be more important than your kids? Will you surrender your kids to me? See, sometimes the ship isn't a bad thing, it's not an evil thing, it's not a horrible habit. It's not a secret sin. Sometimes the ship that I need to burn is just something that quite honestly has taken up more of my attention and more of my focus and more of my worship than Jesus. Is there a ship in your life that you need to burn? So we're going to do something this morning. You guys are the experiment, the first service. This might not happen in the second service. Because we now have a fire system in this place. We have several stations up here with candles. And we're going to give you an invitation to literally write some things on your paper right where you are in your seat. And then to bring it up and to burn it. And when you burn it, I would give you a chance that if you're physically able to, to even, after you've, after you've put it in the can, to, to maybe find a place to kneel and just have a moment of God, with God of just surrendering, of commitment. Now, this isn't for everybody, okay? We're not expecting every. I know all the middle school students are instantly going, I'm in. We're going to burn stuff? Come on. This is, I'm not saying that everybody needs to participate in this, but some people do, and you know who you are. So Carrie's going to sing a song, and we're going to give you a chance to, to burn some ships, and then I want to come up and just pray over us.
1: not looking for perfection. you can have my Mom! You've got it. Every room, Lord. It all belongs to you. It all belongs to you. Sing that. Come and consume. Every room. It all belongs to you. It all belongs to Jesus. Come and consume. Oh.
0: So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. And part of the prayer is, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in the implied part of that is not my kingdom, not my will, not what I want. At the end of his life, Jesus is kneeling in a garden. He says, God, I don't, I'm not a particular fan of kind of this option right now. Is there any other way? And he says, nevertheless, your will, not mine. What you want. Jesus was all in. Jesus was 100% all in. Jesus burned the ships. And as his followers, he asked us to do the same. And the promise is rest. Yes. The promise is that he will hold us. The promise is that in the surrendering, there is peace, there is breakthrough. There is freedom. You cannot experience the breakthrough that you're looking for, the freedom that you're looking for, until you first commit yourself all into Him. So Father, I just speak a prayer of blessing over every person in this room. Father, I ask that you would empower us, even this week, because this is continually, I, com- I continually commit, God, that even this week, you would show us ships that we need to burn. God, that continually this week, we would have moments alone with you of surrendering. Because we choose to continually commit all of our life, all of our will, God, to your care and to your control. We pray this in Jesus' name.